Welcome back to the FKT Podcast, brought to you by Merrill Test Lab. Merrill invites you to put yourself and their new Skyfire 2 shoe to the test on your next adventure. Thank you, Merrill, for supporting not only this podcast, but the fastestknowntime.com website and the FKT community. Check out the Skyfire 2, Merrill's newest, lightest, and fastest trail running shoe over at merrill.com. Today, we're chatting with Aubrey Drake, who has over 20 FKTs on the site. Join us to learn more about gridding the New Hampshire 48, 4,000-footers and how thru-hiking has impacted their experience with ultras and FKTs. Hey, everybody. I'm Aubrey Drake. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm a white, queer, and transgender hiker, backpacker, ultra runner, writer, researcher, and activist. I've thru-hiked the Appalachian Trail, Europe's Tour de Mont Blanc, Vermont's Long Trail, the John Muir Trail twice, the Tahoe Rim Trail, the New England Trail, New Hampshire's Cohas Trail. I'm 85% of the way done with the Pacific Crest Trail, which I'll finish the PCT in July. I'm also halfway done with the Arizona Trail, which I will finish in October. I've completed both in summer and winter seasons the Northeast 111 4,000 footers, which includes the New England 67 4,000 footers, Adirondack 46 high peaks, and uh, separately the New England 100 highest. I've done ultramarathon distances from 50K up to 100 miles. Uh, and at this point, I've set 20 fastest known times, some overall, some in the non-binary category. Um, and I've logged more than 8,500 miles on my feet in the last three years. Um, and some of my writing has been featured in places like Trail Runner Magazine, uh, Long Trail News Magazine, and uh, Non-Binary, which is an anthology from Columbia University Press. Glad to be here today. Yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to make time to join us. Uh, you're such an accomplished hiker, and you've got so many amazing projects, uh, not just FKTs. Um, and so it's really cool to be able to have you on to chat. Uh, one of your projects um, that I'm most interested in hearing about today is that you're currently working on a 12-month grid of the New Hampshire 48 4,000-footer peak list. and so. This is a very, I know you sent me some information about it because it's a very specific and um, rather obscure project. Um, so I'm really curious if you could just talk a little bit for our listeners about what that entails. Yeah, so there's some people in the Northeast know about the New Hampshire 48 4,000 footers, uh, which includes Mount Washington, which is somewhat notorious and infamous. Um, and there's the the basic list is just doing the 48 at some point across your lifetime. Um, and then if you want to make it harder, you can do it both in kind of three season and then you can do it in winter. And a grid is where you do every one of the 48 peaks in every month of the year. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the same year, although people like Sue Johnston and uh, Philip Karsha have both done that in a single calendar year. Mm -hmm. um, deepest, deepest respect. Most people take many, many years and possibly decades um, to kind of work their way through it because conditions and weather is so changeable, particularly in the White Mountains. Um, Mount Washington is known for having some of the worst weather in the world, uh, has the second highest recorded wind speed in the world, uh, and it broke the device that was measuring it which is about on par for Mount Washington. It sounds about uh, right. It can snow, snow any day of any, any, any month of the year, and it has. Um, I think the average temperature 
I believe is 35 degrees is the average temperature around year round on Mount Washington. I didn't really intend to start gridding. I just kind of started keeping track because you never know, it might accidentally happen. And it's, it's, you know, it's 576 peaks. Um, and it's somewhat specific and that it has to be within each month. Mm-hmm. So the first of the 48, 4,000 footers that I went over was in 2014 when I was doing a long section of the Appalachian Trail and it was Mount Musilaki. And I think it was like 90 something degrees. It was black fly season. I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought I could keep grinding 25 mile days and I did for about three days and then it just killed me. <laughs> then I went home to recuperate. So I've been working on it more intentionally, probably since like 2018, 2019, I started working on the different peak lists. And I've, I, this last winter, I just did the Adirondack 46 high peaks in 30 calendar days during the winter while working full time, just going up every weekend. And then I did the last two peaks in the Catskills to finish the Northeast 111 4,000 footers in winter. And so now I was like, well, what other peak lists are there? I guess we start on a grid a little more intentionally. So you kind of officially started the grid in like 2018, is that? Yeah, I mean, for intentionally kind of focusing on paying attention to when am I doing the peaks, being like, oh, well, this one won't count. I already have done it. Maybe let's do a different peak instead. Right. And do you have a timeline for how long... Uh, you think this will take you? Do you have a plan for when you want to finish it? I anticipate that I will finish next year. Okay. Full on now. Yeah. I've, I've, my, we'll see how my summer plans go with the Pacific Crest Trail, finishing that up with like a 425 mile section pretty quickly, followed by the Leadville 100. So we'll see how I'm doing and if I'm able to fill in some of the gaps that I have for like, July and August. So I, I anticipate it'll probably be next summer. Well, we'll be following along. Um, so you t- you kind of touched on that a little bit, like that you you were kind of just looking for another peak list. Um, but I'm kind of curious, like, was there any other like inspiration for doing the grid itself? I think primarily, honestly, Philip Karsha has been quite an inspiration. Uh, I think he went for 14 months doing the New Hampshire 48 every month. Um, He really loves the White Mountains. He has done many projects in the White Mountains, including tracing every trail in the White Mountains guidebook. Mm -hmm. Three summer seasons in a row because he he kept missing what he wanted, which was to finish within the exact summer season within that solstice and equinox. Um, What does he say? Find something you love and let it kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And watching that kind of brought to my attention, not just for him, but for people who was who were watching him, finding other people who are also gritting. And it's it's a smaller community, but it's also very fun because uh, similarly to the New Hampshire or the the New England hundred highest, there's a much smaller group of people who are doing it 
who are much more willing to share trail conditions, share, share beta, which roads are plowed, which parking lots are plowed. Did somebody else go out there last week? Is it feasible right now? Mm. Um, and I, I really enjoyed for the hundred highest, how much people wanted to support each other. It felt a little bit more what I imagined doing the 48 used to be like maybe like 15 or 20 years ago before it was, you know, like 25,000 people all trying to do the list at the same time. And I enjoyed that. And it's also nice to see the mountains, the same mountains, some of the same trails, some of the same places across the seasons. Like when I started running outside for the first time, I ran in the same place for about two years and I would find different trails, but it was in the same general area and watching the seasons kind of ebb and flow and watching nature change. There's just something a little magical about that. When everybody's gone away, when it's no longer sunny and warm, where it's cold, it's muddy, it's buggy, or it's raining, it's snowing, <laughs> you're in snow up to your waist. Like, what does it look like now? And there's a little bit more of an adventure to it. Yeah, I mean, when I did my calendar year Triple Crown 2018, that was one of the things that I found the most fascinating and interesting. You know, I'd already hiked the ATP, CT, and CET each twice, but always like, you know, summer season. But doing that calendar Triple Crown, like I was out in the spring and I was out till snow flew in the winter and seeing different places at different times of year. And it was a really fascinating and interesting and very challenging a way to interact with something that felt familiar, something that I already thought I knew, you know, to see it in like a different different time of year and different weather conditions and in a different time mental state. <laughs> so, yeah, I yeah, I value that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. One of the things I've also been appreciating um because I've been doing more shoulder season hiking this year, trying to work on March and April which had almost nothing because who wants to go out in April? Um, turns out only the people who are, um, sometimes they'll call each other gridiots. And I, was like, I like that. Seeing other other people who are gridiots out there doing what they're doing. And it was very interesting to watch that mental and psychological shift for myself from winter where you're like, I want to see somebody else because it means I'm not the only footprints. I'm not breaking trail maybe there'll be somebody to help me out if something goes very drastically wrong. And then that shift towards summer where you're like, I don't want to see people. Why are you all here? Where were you three months ago? Get away from me. You're all over me. Um, and just watching that like ebb and shift yeah. has been very interesting. Yeah. One of the other things that I found interesting um, and why I originally reached out to you was because you recently set the Prezi Picnic and Prezi Traverse non-binary unsupported FKTs. And these are pretty big, massive FKT mountain undertakings. But when I reached out to you, you were kind of like, well, they were incidental to, you know, my grid project. And so I I want to know a little bit more about like that mindset where like you're you've got this big goal. And so like in the interim, you're setting incidental FKTs that are big standalone projects on their own. Yeah. And it was interesting. I, I didn't actually go and really look at the other FKTs for the Prezi picnic um, 
because I wasn't intending on doing it that day. I've wanted to do a Prezi picnic just to have done it. I've had a dream of both doing a Pemi and a Prezi in the same weekend. And I've tried like three times and the weather never lines up with Mount Washington. I didn't realize that I mean, I suppose it makes sense. Everybody else has done a Prezi picnic in June or July when the huts are open, when water is very easy to get because there are the faucets outside of the huts that are filtered and running. And it's also, as I have been learning, uh, you really kind of want it to be at least like 65 or 70 to be bicycling because that wind chill kind (laughs) of. So there were reasons uh, that nobody had done it that way before, but um I think everybody else's were self-supported. So like, I'm not sure if it's defined as unsupported because I dropped a bicycle, but that's kind of how I interpreted it. But part of what I enjoy about FKTs is that there's a lot less pressure for it to be the most perfect. Like on a race day, I feel like there's this pressure that you want all the stars to align your effort and energy with the perfect taper. You've put all this money into it. It's going to be what it's going to be, whether whatever the weather looks like. And I, I really love FKTs because I can, I can decide when I want to do it. I can be the person to make a bad decision and say, let's go in April when it's going to be socked in and very windy and kind of cold. And I've, I've really enjoyed, um, the super pemi i've done a super pemi twice and a swan song twice because the first time wasn't bad enough <laughs> i try not to let perfect be the enemy of good sometimes and i've been inspired by like women who fkt and and the projects that they've been putting together to support and encourage women and like non-binary people to get out there, get after FKTs, just get something on the board. And that's often what I'm doing is I know I can complete it. It's just a matter of how much time is it going to take me. And sometimes I don't have the the energy or the exact like kind of lineup of conditions and time to taper <laughs> to throw myself at it. And like the Prezi Traverse is so competitive and there is I am not a fast human being I I do okay I do okay with some like road racing um but overall I am I am not going to be doing a Prezi Traverse in less than five hours in my lifetime I don't know I like finding FKTs that are more of like who else has done it like the super like everybody a lot of people have done a PEMI but not a lot of people have done a super pemi. It's like, I can suffer for a long time. Let's do that. I mean, that is one of the the beauties of FKTs is that you get to choose routes and styles that suit your strengths. You know, like I would consider myself also not a very fast human being. You know, I know that I can go, you know, and like you said, suffer longer. I can go farther. I can go without sleep. You know, I can carry a lot of weight and, you know, so like, I'm not going to go out and try to do something, you know, that's based on sheer speed. Like I'm going to choose the routes and styles that are going to suit my strengths. And so I feel like that's one of the really beautiful things about FKTs. There's a, an option for everybody. You know, and and yeah, I love what women who have KT is doing and like 
you know, just this general movement to get something on the board, like go out and do find something that works for you and do it. Like, I love that. Yeah, I was very one of the FKTs I'm probably like most proud of was the North South Trail, which is in Rhode Island. And you run across Rhode Island, you start in the corner of Connecticut, Massachusetts and Rhode Island, and then you run to the ocean. It's like 78 miles. And it's probably only 5,500 gain. It's a relatively flat. It's a really mixed bag with some single track, some double track, some paved roads, some dirt roads. Like it gets kind of interesting in and out of residential areas. But nobody had done it unsupported because people couldn't figure out the water. And so I went, I did the planning and me and another non-binary friend, we ended up doing it in November. <laughs> we spent half of our time in the dark but we set an unsupported time and we beat some of the self-supported time as well. And so for a little while, we held very solidly. If you were looking for the unsupported or self-supported, like you had to look at our time. And I was, I was talking with um, Eli Barakian, who was, I think he, he ended up going for the unsupported time a couple of weeks back and was giving him some beta on the water situation. And he was like, yeah, it was really interesting to click on it and look at the men's time and be like, oh, I can beat that, not a problem. And then scrolling down and realizing that the better time was farther down. And like just the mental mm -hmm. shift of that assumption. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like the website used to sort automatically to the very fastest time, whatever category was always at the top. So it's interesting if they've changed that. Because I know I was at the top of the PCT page for a long time. Not anymore. But um, so it's interesting that uh, maybe it doesn't sort like that anymore. Because it should. The fastest time should definitely always be at the top. Um, I want to back up just a little bit. Uh, just because I have friends up in the White Mountains. So I kind of know what some of these are. But you threw out some names for routes. So the Prezi Picnic, um, Super Pemi. And I think there was a couple others. Can you just really briefly talk about what those are? For sure. So a presidential traverse or a prezi traverse. It's a kind of classic route. It's about 18 miles and about 8,500, 9,000 9, feet of gain. Uh, depends on the direction you do it. There's the north direction or the south direction. South is kind of the classic direction where you start by going up Mount Adams, go over or Madison, Adams, Jefferson, Clay is part of the official route, Mount Washington, Monroe, Eisenhower, Pierce, and then you get to come down. Um, a Prezi picnic, presidential traverse picnic, is where you spot a bicycle at one end and then connect the 28 miles of road. Or I think if you wanted to, if it's open, which it was not when I was going, um, there is a seasonal road that if you had like a gravel bike, it cuts off, I think eight to 10 miles if you take it, but it also has a lot more gain. There's a very large, you go over a mount, kind of a mountain pass. Um, and then a super Pemi, so a, a Pemiguasset wilderness, it's a Pemi loop is 30 miles in and out of Lincoln Woods. Uh, traditionally, it's done clockwise. Um, and it includes, ooh, I'd have to count how many of the 48, 4,000 footers. Um, a super PEMI adds on 
six additional peaks. So I think it's, I believe the PEMI is eight peaks. And if you do the super PEMI, it's 14 peaks. And a super PEMI is, I think, about 43 miles and 15,000 gain, somewhere in there. Yeah, that's, those are, I, I have friends who've done PEMI loops and they always talk about it. And I'm, I've never really actually looked at what that is, but that's pretty significant. And a super PEMI is even more so. If you're ever out here and want to go, let me know. And one of these days I'm going to get up there and do some stuff in the White Mountains. That's not just the AT. Kind of going back to like the gridding and you kind of touched on this a little bit about like when you were seeing people and stuff like that. But how has the weather been like, how is that playing a role? Like, I assume like you keep pretty close tabs, especially in like the colder months, like on the weather. And then do you just kind of have a list in your head of the peaks you need to do? And when you see a good weather window, you just go or how do you how do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, in the White Mountains, the weather always dictates what you're doing. Um, there are, you know, many unfortunate incidences where people, most frequently people who don't have experience in the White Mountains, who are not well acquainted with the moodiness and the difference between the massive difference between the valley and the peak and the winds that can happen and the snow that can be happening on top that's rain in the valley. Unfortunately, people die every year in the White Mountains. Um, most frequently very preventable things. Sometimes it's accidents, but, um, and so the, you know, there's a lot of different sites that I typically check and kind of triangulate across to figure out the weather in winter. It's critical. And particularly for anything in the presidentials, it's absolutely of dire consequence to kind of have a good beat on the weather. Um, because the, the presidentials are also very different than other sections of the White Mountains. Certain places in the White Mountains have higher winds. The Presidential Traverse is one of those places. Um, typically, actually, I found Mount Adams and Mount Madison have the harshest winds. Mount Washington, they can be very bad, but the the shape of the ravines around Adams and Madison tend to get hit pretty hard. Similarly with Franconia Ridge, that also gets hit very hard and almost always has a wind coming across the ridge going towards Mount Washington. So like, um, I took a friend with glasses on, uh, in a very, it, it was, it was a very, it was very socked in. And, um, I didn't realize that you can get rye mice on glasses. And so he, he lost all vision on one side of his face because the wind was always blowing in that direction. But he was smart and kept a pair of extra glasses. So he like hunkered behind a rock and like switched it out. But for the Prezi Traverse, particularly where you're above tree line for 14 miles, there are cairns. But if the visibility is bad, you really can't tell the difference between a pile of rocks that somebody made and a pile of rocks that are just a pile of rocks. Um, and the visibility up top can be really bad. Uh, then you have the wind, and the wind is <laughs> an entity in and of itself, particularly in the presidentials. Um, with that kind of comes temperature, which goes with the wind chill, um, and then precipitation and <laughs> all of those things. And then of course, like trail conditions, um, how much snow is there? Is it consolidated? Is it icy? Um, is there going to be a lot of moving water on the trail? So yeah, I definitely, um, I've, uh, I had a scholarship, uh, with 
uh, Joe Stringbean uh, last year through the uh, All In Trail uh, Collective. And I wrote a couple of articles for him for his blog about how do you figure out the weather in the White Mountains, particularly in winter and trail conditions. Um, Because the Mount Washington Observatory, there are people who um, occupy it all year round. They switch out about every five days. And so they are providing a 48-hour weather window, maybe sometimes 36, but that's not always useful if, like for me, I work during the week and I'm not, I live in Massachusetts, I drive to get to the White Mountains. And so I often am planning my weekends out a month in advance. And then I have to kind of have that plan A, plan B, plan C of which which peaks can I do depending on how the weather looks, which for the Prezi picnic, I ended up making a quick change that morning because the night before I had said, mm, I'm not going to do a, 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 a Prezi to d- tomorrow because it's going to be socked in and it's going to be windy and no visibility with wind chill just sounded like a really bad experience. And so instead, I was like, I will do the exact same miles and elevation gain with a shorter bike ride and do across the way, which is all under tree line, do the Wildcats, the Carters, and Mariah, and then connect it with a 10-mile bike ride, which is, I had a had a bicycle in the back and was like, all right, I'm going to go do, you know, Carter's Wildcats Mariah. It'll be good. And then I was driving around and I saw the whites and I saw the, the presidential range and I was like, oh, it looks crystal clear. They said it was supposed to be in the clouds. Maybe this has shifted to later in the day. And they thought that it was not going to, it wasn't going to be stopped in, until evening. So I said, let's go. Unfortunately, they were wrong. <laughs> but you still did it. I mean, yeah. At that point, I I was like, it is uh, one direction is about halfway and the other way, it's about halfway. I might as well keep going. Going that way means I get to go lower. I was lucky that by the time the weather, particularly the wind really turned, I was already below Washington. I was at Lake of the Clouds heading towards Mount Monroe. And notoriously, after you... Monroe is fairly low by comparison. And then once you've hit Monroe and head towards Eisenhower, it always gets much warmer out that direction. But it was cold enough that I was very glad for my mildly overpreparedness in the White Mountains, where I was like, I probably don't need these giant Gore-Tex over mitts that are waterproof. There's no reason I'll probably need these, but I'll just toss them in the bag because they don't weigh very much. And I needed them for a couple of hours because my hands were not going to be working without those. I'd love to kind of hear about what drew you to the sport of FKTs in the first place and maybe just a little bit about what kind of a a role they play in your life. Because obviously you've set over 20 and I mean, obviously you do other things in the mountains too, Um, but I'm just kind of curious about about that aspect. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about this a, a bit lately because um, the women who FKT asked to feature my Prezi picnic. And for me, the thing I love most about FKTs is that I don't have to rely on anyone else to welcome me or to be considerate or, you know, I don't, I don't get questioned about 
what gender I selected when only given two binary options. I've had that happen at races multiple times. They're like, are you sure you signed up for the right category? Yes, unfortunately I am. <laughs> like you gave me two options. Why are you giving me shit about it? Like, um, I've had people question my choice in swag where they're like, they look me up and down and are like, you don't want the women's t-shirt, do you? It's like, no, that is what I asked for. You sent me a form and I filled it out. <laughs> like, um, and not having the pressure of being the only one. And I've showed up to races and been the only queer or trans person that I knew of that I could see that seemed to exist in the space. And that's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of anxiety. And I really just love moving my body in the mountains. And I love not having to wait for anybody else to welcome me. Like, I like to just be able to go and do it when I want to. And if, if, I, if it goes horribly, I don't have to tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I could keep it to myself. Be yes. like, this was failure and I'll learn from it and try it again later. Or maybe not. Like, and it's, I don't know, it, it's fun to find new routes, to find new places that I haven't been before. Um, or to be like, oh, I've been there. I've done that. Oh, cool. Like, what is the fastest time? Holy, but how did you do that? That's amazing. Um, like a Pemi loop where I'm like, I don't know how that's possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I also like challenging myself, which is part of why I've done two super Pemis and I've done two different swan songs is I felt the first time I was like, I feel like I left something on the table. I could, I can go harder without hurting myself, but I definitely can go harder. Um, or maybe the weather was really bad. Like my first super Pemi, it rained for the last four hours. And I was like, this slowed me down. And it's, it's also fun to use FKTs to find other people who are doing similar big days in the mountains who think that's a good time because most people in my life uh, are not, I mean, I, I've been told that I shouldn't really, I'm not a normal comparison to be like, oh, that's what an average hiker is. And I'm like, I felt very called out by some of the hiking memes lately. I also have no concept of what average is. So I understand. <laughs> like, how long does this take most people? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and it's an interesting game, right? Like yeah. kind of to about kind of the aspect of unsupported versus you know self-supported or fully supported in general I'm not the kind of person that really wants to deal with fully supported it feels like such a giant black hole of how many people are gonna you know completely derail their weekend to spend the entire time supporting me and then the logistics of it and and then it's supposed to make me faster somehow. And I'm like, this is a lot. It's worse than a race kind of in some ways. Um, and self-supported I've done a few times, but honestly, kind of like you, I'd, I'd rather just carry the weight and have what I need on my back and not be worrying about, okay, well, I put, I put a food drop here. Is it still going to be there? Did it get damaged? It, I would rather just carry from the beginning. Um, and it's fun to see, I mean, you know, I was, I was listening to uh, the past podcast about 
the guy who did the Arizona Trail unsupported, and it is mind-boggling, the distance and the weight. But that's it's so cool to see how far can we go with just what we started with. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting compliment to like maximizing speed. Because when you go into the unsupported, it's not it's no longer about maximizing speed because you're carrying all this weight. It's about maximizing speed while carrying weight, while you know, not relying on anything outside yourself, being completely self-reliant. And so it's it's an interesting, like different trajectory and it is really fascinating. And yeah, arts, Arizona, FKT. Like I think about that all the time. I'm just like, I don't even know. Like it's just mind boggling for sure. Part of what I think I really like about unsupported FKTs and just long distance hiking in general is that a lot of a lot of it is about efficiency over time over a long distance. It's can you go three miles an hour for 18 hours a day, minimizing your stops to filter water, not be taking breaks in the middle of the day, like just grinding hard and then going to sleep for some limited amount of time, waking up and doing it again and again and again. And that grind, it's it's interesting, right? Because I came to ultra running from through hiking, from kind of long, long ass section hiking. and. The number of people in ultra marathon running that come from road running who are like, I'll do anything if it's like a day or two, but do not make me day after day after day. I'm like, wait, like, come on, let's do 30s. We'll just do 30s for like a week. This is fun, right? And they're like, this is hell. (laughs) But so much can happen while you sleep. It's totally fine the next morning. And I mean, I mean, it, it makes you address problems that you might be able to ignore otherwise. Like you really can't ignore your feet after a certain point. It took me a long while to realize that like ultra marathon running and long distance hiking, depending on your pacing, it really is the same thing. It overlaps so much. Just got to like shuffle every now and again and pretend to run and you'll be fine. <laughs> Yes. Rapid shufflings with running arm movements is what I, I like to tell myself. <laughs> like when I was just, I just ran the Shenandoah a few days ago. And, and that was what I just kept telling myself. I was like, you are barely moving faster than a hike right now. You're somewhere in between hiking and running, but you're moving your arms like you're running. So it it's still, still running. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. That's one of the things like when I did my first hundred mile last year, I was so surprised by was like, oh, this is like a long distance hike condensed into like a 24 to 30 hour period. And there's trail angels every like six to 10 miles. And they're like, trail magic, trail magic. They're like, what snack did you want? Oh, can I help you fill your water bottles? And I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, I had the exact same because uh, I also came to ultra running from through hiking. And I remember having the exact same thing like, this is better than through hiking because sure I stay up all night, but people give me snacks and like, <laughs> like this is great. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Which you know, I mean, I don't know. My, my first hundred miler, it was in mid May in Maine, and it, they were expecting it to be to be cold, and it was ninety two degrees, and oh lord, seventy five percent of the people that started quit. 
And it was one of wow. those things where I was like, oh, okay, where are the cutoffs? All right, like I can power hike for the whole heat of the day. I know how to deal with being like a super heavy, salty sweater. Like, where's the salt pills? Where's the electrolytes? Like, I'll just keep eating and walking. Mm -hmm. And like, I ended up finishing in sixth place because I just survived better than everybody else. Yeah. And through hiking does really give you those skills because when you through hike, you have to like make those adaptations. And I've definitely had ultras where I'm like, it was really hot, you know, like 100 milers, really hot in the middle of the day. And I'm like, okay, it, exactly. Like, I just have to survive the next six hours until it starts cooling off. And then I can worry about my pace again. I just have to like, I just have to be able to like survive this. And yeah, definitely there's applications too that ultra running has given me in my through hiking as well. So it's been a kind of a, a cool like back and forth, but um, they do have a lot of parallels. Yeah. And honestly, for my Prezi picnic, I think some of the hardest moments <laughs> was biking past the gas stations. Yeah. <laughs> Where they they both have delis inside of them. I could smell the food cooking and I was like, I'm just gonna keep biking. It's fine. It's like you wanted you wanted to do this unsupported. It's fine. Right. The temptation is strong. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and chatting about all things unsupported and presidential and White Mountains. It's been great. Always good to chat. Thanks again, Aubrey, for coming on the show. You can follow their adventures at genderqueer underscore hiker on Instagram or at their website, transcendingmountains.blog. Thanks again to Merrill Test Lab for supporting the show. Be sure to check out their new Skyfire 2 shoe at merrill.com.